cemeteries. Some find them an uncomfortable place. Some even find them terrifying and will avoid them with everything they have. But for some of us, we are actually called to cemeteries, drawn and compelled to visit them. We feel no fear there, but we usually do feel many other feelings while visiting. Peace, curiosity, loss, acceptance, injustice, and even love. We go to see history, hear stories, and pay respect to those who have walked this earth and have passed beyond the veil. In this episode, we are exploring the world of cemeteries, their history, types of markers, and fascinating folklore. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. Hello, friends and taphophiles. I'm your host, Lachelle. Today, we are changing things up just a little bit. We're not talking about just one cemetery or individual, but cemeteries, graveyards, and burials in general. And I'm so excited to have our co-hosts. They're Gina Armstrong and Victoria Vancheck a sister team of paranormal researchers that write and research to preserve history hauntings, and yes, of course, cemeteries. Welcome, Victoria and Gina. Hi there. How Hi. are you? How are you? <laughs> so good. Very excited to be here. We Thank are. you. Yes. Thank you. So we ran into each other on social media. We did. <laughs> and we've just become fast friends, like the same things. Yeah, you know, a good graveyard can bring it together, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> even the living <laughs> I know <laughs> yes so I just love you gals and so I'm so excited that we decided to get together and team up today and talk about our favorite subject cemeteries oh we've got some good ones so what got you gals going to cemeteries and why do you visit well, we love cemeteries, um, mainly because we can do a lot of research. When we do a lot of historic research, it leads us naturally usually to a cemetery because there's local pioneers and it's like a piece of a puzzle. So you kind of go there and we can trace back the tombstones and use the stories that we discovered to fill in the blanks and the unknown parts of history. A lot of times, you know, when we've kind of done all the like the archives and we visited locations, then we end up at the cemetery. And usually by, by nature, like you said, they're very mysterious places. And, you know, mm. some people are intrigued by them and then some are very uneasy. So <laughs> by day, cemeteries are peaceful and relaxing and park-like until twilight moves in and the nightfall transforms the ambience to unveil looming gravestones, twisted tree branches and lurking shadows whether real or imagined. Yep, <laughs> it's true. The past lives of souls mingle in such a place, so it is fitting that many people are drawn to cemeteries where so many fascinating stories lie left untold. 
When visiting, scenery is always really nice. And one thing we always enjoy seeing is all the different styles of the markers too. You know, sometimes you see like the old wooden cross or you see just the earliest ones to the most modern ones. And yeah. we see a lot of similarities that we've noticed in gravestones. So when we even look at postings on Instagram or other people who visit cemeteries, we see that, that there are certain classics that we've seen over and over again. And kind of similarities of just even like the different gates and things like that. So it's fascinating to look at all that. Yes. Same. I always have some of my favorites that I look for when I go to the cemetery. One of them that I love to see is the gates ajar. Oh, yes. I'll have to tell that story sometime, but it looks like, you know, heaven's gates are open and there was a book and everything that spurred the popularity of using that. I always look for that. And I love the tree stones. Love the ones that look like like a tree stump or a tree stone. Oh, yeah, kind of the more natural looking ones. Yeah. <laughs> Those are kind of fun. And of course, I always love the angels. I love to see the angel statues. I always look for those. And I love that when I see a marker that has some kind of symbol on it or symbolism to it, especially in the older graveyards, it's just so exciting when I see one of those things and I can point to it and say, oh, he was a mason. And look, his wife was in the women's side of the women's. I don't know what you call that. The women's masons group, I don't know what you call it. Yeah, I think like that's the order of the Eastern star, right? I think it's that one. Yes. The markers are fascinating because they always tell a story, right? That's what you like about them as well. And they also have their own interesting history. And we feel like they're in themselves kind of works of art. We kind of mm -hmm. researched a little bit about the beginnings of gravestones and grave markers. And like the earliest ones, I think they said are to be date back to about 3000 BC. So it's a very long time ago. And it was wow. the Roman and Celtic cultures. So they started out with doing some sort of a marker. And there were various materials usually wood, slate, you see marble, granite, bronze, and even sandstone. So you see a huge variety when you walk into a cemetery. Slate was the first widely used material for headstones, and that was around the mid-1600s, so a long time ago, and that was used up until wow. about the 1900s. And before things got too fancy, people sometimes used just piles of rocks. I still see those. It's so deserty in Arizona, and there's not all the rolling fields of grass and Stuff that you see a lot of times back east in cemeteries. I have so many pictures of just cemeteries just full of piles of rocks with maybe a little wooden cross or also sometimes a marker, but also with the rocks. Well, and I think probably places used what was available in the region too, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we, up here we have a lot of trees and things like that. So a lot of wood was used at one time. One of the reasons that we love to visit too, just is everything kind of in a cemetery tells a story. So I know that you know some of the folklore associated with headstones. I'd love to hear some of that. So other than them being works of art, like we mentioned, the headstones were used actually for specific reasons. People wanted to keep the dead from wandering. So the belief was that after you died, that you might not necessarily be resting in peace. If certain cemeteries freak you out a bit, this might not help <laughs> to know that people were believed to be wandering exactly. after they were freshly buried. Correct. So in the early days, people believed that the dead would eventually rise to face judgment before they moved on permanently. But they didn't want them rising before their time. 
So headstones were used to weigh them down so they couldn't get up and wander among the living. I always think when we see the really huge markers, you kind of think like, oh, did they really think, oh, Uncle George is a stubborn one. We really need to weigh him down with a big, big, massive gravestone. So, you know, we kind of look at them, oh, oh they're nice and ornate, but, you know, they might have been there for a reason. <laughs> That's going to need to weigh a lot. The other belief was that they're either placed at the head of the deceased to keep them from wandering or sometimes at the feet. There was always just a thing, too, about the placement. That was very, very interesting. History does show that people back in the day were really terrified of the dead rising again. And that's where we get these stories of zombies or even where vampires started is that they really thought that they would rise or that they did and they had to make sure that they wouldn't so they removed their hearts or weigh them down make sure that they weren't getting out of oh, there yeah. lots, of, lots of superstitions and belief very fascinating stuff that people believe the fear was there and it was real so. yeah, it <laughs> well was. also like people see mausoleums today and they think wow that this person must have been important but mausoleums were actually started out historically being used in very cold regions during the winter when you couldn't dig a grave essentially the ground was frozen so the bodies were temporarily stored in a crypt above ground until the spring thaw yeah not the body thawing but the but the ground we wanted to thaw so so that's what we're waiting for and so then yeah they said once the ground sort of softened up then dig again and then you could create a proper burial the mausoleums were a lot of times just a storage facility for temporary because refrigeration didn't exist and then today you do see mausoleums and sometimes they are related to families. So they use the mausoleum or sometimes for cremated remains. You have a, lot, a group of people that are in sort of a mausoleum setting. Yeah. Speaking of folklore, there was a lot of, of folklore about burials themselves. There are all kinds of theories about the placements and orientation of the deceased, along with preferences about what times of day were most appropriate for preparing a freshly dug grave. Most of the time, we think of the thunder being sort of ominous, but if there was thunder during your funeral, that was thought to mean that the deceased reached the gates of heaven. So it oh. was a good thing. So kind of an announcement. So like, okay, they made it. We yeah. hear the thunder. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> They're not coming back. They made nope. it. They slammed the gate. <laughs> And then the leaving flowers too. So like today, it's sort of a nice thing. It's a pleasant thing when you walk around and you see the flowers. But yeah. back in the day, they were put on the graves to mask the smell of the decomposing body. Wow. They didn't always do a box or sometimes they didn't do like a really nice coffin like we do today and everything. And they didn't have all the embalming and everything. So the body just went into the ground as is. So speaking of Arizona, where you live, they might've been a little bit right. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And so, you know, they put, they put the flowers and kind of mask that to make it a little bit more pleasant. I always think, too, about the practice of putting the dead bodies underneath the church floors. Yes. Mm. I just can't even imagine what that smelled like to go to church on Sunday. You're <laughs> sitting there and you're just like... <laughs> Exactly. Maybe that's where they came up with the word pew. I, mean, I don't know the church pew. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Whole other research and a whole other podcast in there. Oh, wow, Gina, you're really on the roll here. <laughs> 
But yes, back to the flowers. So they also <laughs> said in ancient Rome, people planted flowers at burial sites because they believed the spirit of their loved one would wander the gravesite and enjoy the beauty for all eternity. So, but that's what we like today a little bit. We can like to see the flowers and someday, hopefully when I'm six feet under, I would like to have flowers as well. And so yes, yes, exactly. they are rather beautiful. So they did do it for that reason as well. In the 1700s, 1800s, they also said that flowers blossomed on the graves of virtuous people, while weeds, <laughs> if you had weeds spreading across <laughs> your grave, then you were just, you were a wicked person or criminal or something like that. So that's not oh. to have any dandelions. We want roses. Exactly. Uh, and again, in Arizona, I'm pretty sure there's not going to be any flowers growing on anybody's yeah. graves. Because... So you hope cacti are a good, a good sign. <laughs> succulents there yes <laughs> and then there was also the direction of the body that yes. was the other one most burials the plots that they actually faced east mm -hmm. and the most popular reason being that was the dead would have their judgment day and would rise so early tradition said that god would call the dead to rise from the east Right. And that being that Jesus would come from the east during his second coming and they wanted to be facing in the right direction. Yeah. And this is also connected to early pagan beliefs, too, which had to do with worshiping the sun and, you know, the rising from the east. So the dead were buried east to west, usually denoting that they lived a full life. And then also a thought I just had was, interestingly enough, Christian beliefs are that Jesus Christ is God's sun s-o-n but the sun s-u-n rises from the east and that he the sun will rise and bring those that have died out of their graves and resurrection there's a lot of just really interesting things in there oh yeah and some people think some of these are maybe silly beliefs today but people did really look to those traditions to bring them comfort and peace and so they could see their loved ones going off into the afterlife properly too. Gave them some peace knowing that they were okay wherever they were set to go. And let's face it, most everything at the cemetery are for those of us that are left. Mm -hmm. It gives us peace. It gives us a place to go to remember, leave our offerings of flowers. And speaking of offerings, I know that you guys have some traditions around offerings and entering a cemetery when it comes to visiting the dead there are a few things that can be done during a visit and just to be respectful and to take care of those who have passed it is best to stick to paths wherever you're walking and don't trample over anyone's grave that's definitely a no-no yeah. you must cross acknowledge and say you are sorry for stepping on their plot when we usually go into like the cemeteries now recently when we went we always make a point of offering like maybe little trinkets something we can leave behind it can also be dropped off at the entrance, anything mm -hmm. like tobacco or coin or even flowers. And in some cases, they also say that if you're not sure what to offer, just bring along a prayer. Tell me about the tobacco. Why tobacco? Uh, well, it's actually an offering that stems back to the indigenous days. And apparently you can actually bring anything along, really, even if it's salt, tobacco, anything like that. It's just something that purifies. It, yeah. it comes from nature. Mm -hmm. It's a plant and gotcha. you bring it back and you 
place it all over. Yeah, because they save in things like area. yeah, gems and minerals, exactly feathers, flowers, even small food items. They say yes. like nuts and bread and yes. apples or nuts and something that's environmentally friendly as well. Like today, we kind of look at that and just try not to bring anything that's like plastic or but just yeah. something that's natural. And it appeases the guardians because the there's guardians. always a guardian in the cemetery. One that you have to be always careful of, not to make them angry or upset. You have to come in with good intentions when you enter. And to avoid attachments too, any unwanted energies. So you want to leave the cemetery or graveyard the same way that you came in and politely ask the departed to stay behind. Once you're leaving, you're going in the same exact entrance that you came. That is super interesting. I usually leave the way that I go in, but I've never asked anyone not to follow me home. I haven't done that yet, but so far so good. We do go from a paranormal standpoint. So we are very conscious of things like attachments or spirits or energies that are lingering. Right. Just have to sort of make sure that nothing uh, comes with you. <laughs> yeah. I am super respectful. I was taught very young not to walk on the graves and I try as I'm there my intent is to bring love and acceptance and curiosity of who is there I try to say the names aloud as I read them I find myself also talking to them sometimes and just saying something like oh sweet girl I'm so sorry I see you lost four of your babies. I'm mm -hmm. so sorry, Margaret. Mama, mm -hmm. that must have been hard for you. Something like that where I really do feel like somehow they can feel my intent. And we do the same thing. We also thank them. And if they do communicate with us, they choose to do that. So we usually say thanks for communicating with us or letting us know you're here. And then, then we kind of move on and everything. And if there are energies, then hopefully they feel our energy too. And if we're positive, I think we're kind of met with the same positives. Right. I approach it as though I was entering a house of worship or someplace like that, that it's a holy ground, that it is a sacred ground where the bodies of our loved ones have been placed. I really love the churchyards. For some reason, there's just a little bit of a different feeling there, don't you think? Yeah, it would be. I think just because there is a church there and I think kind of close to where people worship and bury their dead at mm -hmm. the same time. A little bit of a different feel than a cemetery because where everybody's sort of, you know, non-denominational mostly. Yeah. Can you tell me the folklore around the graveyard guardian? Victoria kind of started in on that. I want to hear about the yeah, guardian. That's a fascinating one. And so a lot of that, the ones that kind of fascinate us come from British folklore in newly built churchyards, it was believed that the first individual who was buried there was to guard the graveyard from the devil for all eternity. Wow. Come up, sort of a big burden on the first soul who, you know, yeah. if you were the one unfortunate to be the first one there. Yeah, that's a, that's just a little bit of responsibility. <laughs> it would it'd be overwhelming because this is like all of eternity, right? So in order that the unfortunate human soul would be spared the unpleasant task, uh, folklore has it that there was a gruesome custom of burying a live dog in the north corner of a graveyard. Oh. And that sort of came about trying to keep the human spirit from having to take on that. The dog spirit became known as the churchyard Grim, and he would protect Grim. the souls in the graveyard. And the Grim also appears as a spectral black dog and was said to toll the church bell at midnight. If he told the church bell at midnight, it meant that there was a bad omen and it usually predicted another death. 
And then, as in many tales of folklore, the dark and stormy weather usually was a really good time that the Grimm would be particularly active. And that the ghostly dog would wander through the churchyard. He was wandering day and night, but he was really there to to guard. Like, he might be sort of ominous sounding, but he was really there to protect things. So it's said also that the priests performing funerals would catch a fleeting glimpse of the Grimm, sometimes looking out from the church tower. And depending on how he would be demeanor-wise, like if the priest could kind of surmise whether the, the deceased individual's soul would ascend to heaven or would be banished to hell. So they kind of looked Ooh. at the Grimm's kind of mood and what he was signaling, I guess, to tell you where the person went. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he was seen as an entity to be feared, but most the nocturnal ghost dog was just there to protect the graveyards from vandals and grave robbers. Kept everybody safe. So he was kind of a good thing. He might look a little spooky, but... He was the guard dog. He was the guard dog. (laughs) He was taking care of all his friends. Yes. Well, it makes me think of the Harry Potter movie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think that was my first exposure to the grim idea was... That whole thing, or the groom, you know, the black dog. Oh. I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, before. there's a few different guardians. And then there's another one. I would say a little bit more spooky. It was called the Anku. And he's a graveyard guardian and watcher. The folklore about him is that he's kind of known in different parts of Europe and is well known, especially in France, but also England, Belgium, and all those different places. But he's described as quite creepy as well. So he's a very tall skeletal shadow who wears a hat and he sort of obscures his face so you can never see his face. And sometimes he carries his scythe, kind of like the Grim Reaper. So he's a little bit similar to that. And his job was to wander the graveyard with his two ghostly skeletal helpers. (laughs) So it's not enough that there's one of them, but there's creepy helpers as well. And their job is to collect the lost souls that are wandering around the graveyard or near it for whatever reason. So they actually collect all the souls and bring them back to the graveyard. And with this one, if you happen to be the Anku, you don't have to be too freaked out. It's a yearly position. (laughs) (laughs) The last person in the year to pass who is buried at the graveyard becomes the Anku for the following year. So if I was dying on December 31st, I'd be like, just don't let me go yet. Just keep me alive (laughs) for a few more hours. (laughs) Yeah, let that clock strike midnight and then 12.01, the next person. (laughs) (laughs) Let somebody else go first. I don't want to be the Anku. Yeah, so the folklore too and the legends, there's some creepy ones, but they're not always limited just to the creepy characters that are roaming around. One of the things that we pay attention to, along with the markers and everything, is the types of trees and plants. Usually you go to a place and it's very scenic, and Mm -hmm. those are usually part of the landscaping. And you think they're just kind of put there because they look nice, but specific trees, flowers, and plants are often used for cemetery landscapes because they have a special significance. In terms of the trees, some trees are commonly found in cemeteries and graveyards such as the cypress, yew, and also a red cedar. These share unique folklore, but also they tie into human spirituality and superstition. The first tree is the cypress tree. Mm -hmm. So the cypress tree is wildly found in many cemeteries and graveyards. I've noticed that. I've noticed lots of cypress trees. These ones are actually often always in an appearance. They look very dark and gloomy. They would be used as a warning mechanism. 
These trees would be planted near graves to deter outsiders from entering the cemetery. So they had a more ominous so I guess, symbolism. So I guess those people didn't get many visitors. <laughs> <laughs> they right. No, nope, there's that tree. We better stay away. And here's a little uh, fun fact. For example, with the Celts, the ancient Celts, they would place their dead in the tree for burial. So they would put the body into this tree and then it would just meld with all the nature and everything mm. there. I kind of like that in a way. I think that's really interesting. It makes sense. Now, the other tree that is very popular and probably the most well-known is the yew tree. This one you can find anywhere practically, but majority of the graveyards and cemeteries in Europe have yew trees all the time. So wow. and according to pagan lore and Christian storytelling, the Greek mythology, yew trees were said to purify the dead as they entered the underworld. And the yew also, the yew tree itself, the bark and the needles and the berries are naturally poisonous. Therefore, the yew tree was always favored in graveyards, keeping people and their cattle out of the area oh. <laughs> and helping preserve the ground. So you, have, you didn't have anything trampling around. Nothing grazing on the vegetation. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, you can only imagine the damage cattle could do to a cemetery. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Some people would carry yew branches during the funeral and the mourners would include a yew branch in the deceased coffin, believing that the yew would bring eternal life. See, who would have known like all this? You know, we just kind of walk by the shrubs and the trees and you're looking oh. at the graves, but the next time everybody needs to take a look at the plants. They do. And we see a reoccurring theme. We do see quite a lot of plants, the same trees, the same similar ones like the cypress, the yew and the cedar. They're always in cemeteries. And there are obviously superstitions around the red cedar. There is an old Ozark uh, superstition that if a red cedar that you plant grows tall enough to shade your grave, you will die. But I suppose you have to take care if you already have your plot picked out. Oh. <laughs> because I know some people have plots picked out, so make sure you don't plant that particular tree near, the grave. near your grave. <laughs> okay. We found a lot more. Like that could be just a whole subject on its own. So I have been to Vancouver, but I wasn't able to go to a cemetery while I was there. And I'm just dying to see some of them. And you guys have some of the most amazing dying. I guess I shouldn't say I'm dying to see a cemetery. I'm just, I'm just thinking the same thing. Don't say that. You're <laughs> eager to see some of them. <laughs> I would really like to see some cemeteries in Vancouver. <laughs> but you guys always have really amazing photos. There must be some really good cemeteries over there. Oh yeah, we have some very nice um, local ones that we've especially visited during COVID times because you know a lot of places were closed. So we went to see a lot of cemeteries. Those were nice areas to visit. And then a few of the ones that we've gone to, we did do ghost hunts in a few places too. And just to see if there's, you know, any sort of energy. There's always a little bit of a debate when it comes to the paranormal field. Like if, thing, if cemeteries are haunted because people didn't necessarily die there, but Right. My feeling is always like there's intense energy in a cemetery because there's burials going on, there's emotions mm -hmm. going on, whether it's good or bad or happy or just a highly charged area. So mm -hmm. personally, I do believe that there are energies there. We do go over and, and do that and we, we try to see if there's any um, spirits or anything around. When you go hunting for a ghost, what's the protocol? <laughs> what do you do? So usually we do go to places we sometimes research and if they've had prior hauntings, or, you know, reports of anything. We are just kind of curious, not that we expect to see the same thing necessarily, but 
We go in and if there's activity at a certain gravestone that's known, so we do visit there or just, we go in with very minimal equipment to kind of use our senses a bit, but we do mm -hmm. go in with our EMF and our digital recorders. And so the EMF is something that measures electromagnetic fields. And so it will blink and stuff like you see on the, some of the shows that kind of spike up if there's any sort of energy around. So it'll just let you know that, that there's something that is lingering. And then we bring a digital recorder. We talk to the people who are past and ask yeah. if they want to communicate to see if we get any sort of physical response. But we also do some videos as well. You know, one place we went recently was the Fraser Cemetery. That one was established about 1869. And there's some reported hauntings. So people have seen a boy sitting on a bench. One guy said he was strolling through and saw this boy. Mm. And then when he turned around, he was gone. Oh, wow. He saw him and then... Other people say that they've seen a woman who kind of motions towards certain graves, like she points at them or wants you to come over to, it's not her grave. So it's maybe somebody who's not visited regularly and she's just trying to get visitors to come over. But <laughs> this is an interesting one over here. Come check this yes, out. <laughs> exactly. Like come over. She kind of waves you over. So, you know, people have seen her and just they've seen shadow people and things like that in, in that particular cemetery. So we did mm -hmm. go to that one. I saw that in that one that the guy that played Perry Mason, Raymond Burr, is buried yeah. in that. Yeah. Yeah. He was Canadian. So he's there along with, you know, a lot of notable people, like we said, the pioneers are there. Captain William Irving is another one who was somebody who was huge in BC as far as just being a very pioneering entrepreneur. One of the major things that we discovered is wasn't necessarily ghostly activity, but mm -hmm. while we were at the graveyard, we started researching, speaking of Captain Irving, we started researching his granddaughter because we were at a, at a tour of the house. One of the tour guides just pointed out that granddaughter wrote a book and about her grandfather's seafaring adventures. So we researched her and you know, we tried to find her book. It's not like a book that would be available like on Amazon or something anymore because it was written uh -huh. so long ago. It's just like a yeah. little stapled thing. And we finally tracked it down at a local bookshop, like a secondhand bookstore and ordered it. And then when it came in the mail, we cracked open the book and inside there was a letter from Mary Cox was the granddaughter's name. And there was a typed letter that was signed by her to her publisher. So oh, we actually found this document and we got to donate it to the archives. Like the real, yeah. the real document. The, the, the real document was just tucked inside this yeah. book. People have asked like, oh, do the dead speak? Mm -hmm. I think that they speak kind of all the time because they speak through their stories. It was very, very cool. So the other next place we'll talk about is Ross Bay Cemetery. And this one is in Victoria, BC. So it's on Vancouver Island. I saw that I looked it up because I wanted to see some of the places we might talk about. So I looked up some of the cemeteries and I saw that Emily Carr was buried in the Ross yeah. Bay Cemetery. I think that she is just really a fascinating person. I had read a book about her and she was Canadian artist. You guys will know this, but for the audience, <laughs> she was a Canadian artist who painted beautiful landscapes, but was then inspired to paint landscapes and totem poles of the First Nation tribes that lived there in British Columbia. And the book that I read was a historical fiction and it's called The Forest Lover and it's by Susan Vreeland. Oh, wow. And as a fellow artist and forest lover myself, I just really identified with the book and with Emily Carr and I just found her life 
which is so interesting. Yeah, the Ross Bay Cemetery is a huge one. So that one you can't even do in a day. We mm -hmm. went there and mm -hmm. you could devote several days because it's huge acreage. It's 27 and a half acres of cemetery. Yeah, and it opened in 1873. And speaking of Indigenous peoples, Isabella Ross was the first female and Indigenous landowner in BC. And she's significant to Ross Bay Cemetery named after her, obviously, but she donated that piece of land. So she parceled it out. She owned like 99 acres of land when no women were actually owning land in BC at that point. So yeah. she actually owned that land. It went to the cemetery and, and on that one, there's also reported hauntings. So people see a Victorian couple in like old fashioned clothing that they've been described as like gliding among the gravestones at dusk. So Aww, take it their little stroll taking their little walk they probably maybe had that path for years and years and then another young man a ghost of a young man is seen there david fee and he was shot in the late 1800s just a horrible story it's christmas eve and it's a case of mistaken identity he was shot in the center of town but he's buried there so sometimes people see his ghost there or sometimes in downtown victoria but then also they say they see isabella ross the owner and she either wanders the grounds and or she's sitting on a bench and she's looking out at the ocean because the, the yes. cemetery's at the ocean and it was the location of her former home so she just probably loves it and we figure she's probably just lingering she's like i love this place oh and then we have the other one too as well as the riverview cemetery this one's actually on the grounds of the riverview hospital and it used to be a mental health facility and there are no actual markers like you can't see any crosses or mausoleums nothing like that but they are just little pavers that are embedded into the grass basically mm -hmm. but the grass oh. is growing over them as well so not all of them are ornate so this no. one's very a little bit more humble understated yeah. yeah and the pavers don't have anything really too big written in there like there might be a date only or maybe just the word died yeah sometimes a last name like a lot of records early on weren't kept over there so yeah. you don't even know who exactly is buried there right exactly now. so the first person that was buried there it was around 1958 and the last person was in 2012. You know, there's still a lot of uncertainty about just how many people have been buried there. There are apparently some reported haunted. There was a film crew working there and one guy was just strolling around on his break and he was going past the cemetery and he thought, how strange, I see like a woman in like period clothing. So she looked like she was wearing Victorian clothing and she, she looked like she was gardening and he thought, well, it's kind of interesting because I thought maybe nobody else was on the grounds, but he maybe thought it was an actor, but it wasn't to do with the movie that they were filming necessarily, but he didn't think anything of it until there was another fellow who went one day when it was raining and he saw the same exact woman and she was gardening in the rain, but he thought, he just kind of mentioned like her clothes didn't look wet. She just looked like she was there. And and then wow. when he, as he walked a little bit, he looked back and there was nobody there. So. One of the major therapies was like patients were encouraged to garden, to grow vegetables and flowers. And so maybe there's just somebody who liked being there. And so maybe she's still kind of gardening in the afterlife. If you sort of pay attention where, when you are in a cemetery, you just, they all feel slightly different. And I'm sure you've experienced that too. They all have a mood the minute you arrive and when you leave and they are all are very unique to in themselves. Yeah, I'm quite empathic. I feel people's feelings, the energies. And so I feel a lot at cemeteries. I feel a lot of different emotions. 
like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I haven't ever tried equipment or trying to go to find anyone, but just being there, I find feeling a lot of different emotions as I'm in different parts or by different monuments. Some even in the broad daylight we found go to a place and there's just that heaviness and nothing mm -hmm. can take it away. And then there's some that are very peaceful and joyful and sometimes you can't get away from it. And then sometimes you go to one and it's very upbeat and welcoming feeling. That's what we've had most of the time. Mm -hmm. So most of the time when we go, we feel very, very welcome. Those yeah. are amazing experiences. Going back to what you said about finding things or feeling like you're led to find things that you need for history investigations or my mom does a lot of genealogy and she's many times had experiences of being led to things or having a deep feeling that the person that she is searching for is helping her to find the information that she needs. We've had that similar thing. Sometimes you're in a huge area and you're like looking for someone because it's a pioneer person and you want to write about them or you want to actually find their exactly. gravesite. We've had even like situations where you're lost and where you're wandering and wandering. You're like, oh, we just need to find this one more person that we, and you know, and you all of a sudden you look and you're, you're standing right there. Or you're just drawn. You keep going towards a direction. You don't know why. It's a pull mm -hmm. and you just go there. Yeah. Sometimes you're the one meant to be there, and I guess they want to chat with you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally. So I want to make sure to tell everyone about your website and a few of your upcoming projects. I know you girls are busy writing and doing some interesting things. We are. We're currently working on our book. So that will be to do with all the local places we've been visiting. So it's called Evenings and Avenues, Hauntings in the Outskirts. And that's definitely where we're going is we're going to buildings. We're going to, you know, prisons. We're just doing all <laughs> kinds of different areas that we've discovered. Some have people have gone to as well, but I'm hoping we'll be out next year. But it's a big undertaking because we've got a lot of locations. We do all of our own photography and everything in there as well. So that's, it, it's been a fun project so far. Exciting. And we also have a project just weeks away and it was inspired by our cemetery visits to a large part in fact, and it is called Dead Things. Dead Things, yes. Yeah, we dead Things? Uh, no. <laughs> what kind of dead things? <laughs> <laughs> well, we dedicated a 12-month calendar with our original photography, some of which includes cemeteries, and our theme was around death, legends, superstitions, folklore around the world. It's and our... it's nothing gruesome, like you think yeah. dead yeah. things, but it really like, <laughs> it's to do with like, there's abandoned buildings, there's exactly. some abandoned cars we came across and just like even sort of embracing the beauty of something that's been in the past and no longer is functional maybe. The other really exciting project, we are going to have our writing piece, Supernatural British Columbia, featured in a collective compiled book called The Feminine Macabre, which is volume two. And that one is being brought to us by Amanda Woomer at Spook Eats. So she's another great lady who's doing phenomenal things out there to do with history and hauntings. And, and she's bringing together just celebrating, you know, women's accomplishments in the, in the areas of history. You know, whether you like cemeteries, whether you like dark art or paranormal or any of that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we wrote a, a little piece there about the history of Vancouver and Victoria and the hauntings. So... It's, it's a, little it. bit, a little bit in there for everybody. People will see that on our social media as well. And it'll be on our website too. So we're very, very excited to be bringing those things. 
Wow, Gina, Victoria, thank you for joining me today and sharing all your knowledge and experiences with us. I appreciate all the support and love you've given to me and the podcast. And I am already excited for our next collab. Oh yeah, for sure. We'll have to plan it. And it's just so fun to meet two more tapophiles that totally get me. Yes. <laughs> no, well, thank you, Lachelle. And we love your podcast. So with that, we would like to end with Gina reading a bit from her original poem for the project Dead Things. My marker stands among the grass, and no one looks, they turn and pass. Fear inside keeps them at bay, and no one lingers at my grave. Souls of the forest then spark to life. They were all once here, lives burning bright, now only visible to those who see. They gather round to speak to me. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. You can see photos and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at Stones, Bones, and Shadows Podcast.com. Also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook, like us on Instagram, and leave us a comment. We love to hear from our listeners. Thank you.